0: Church, you may be seated. I want to introduce you to you, my former pastor, Philip A. Newton, otherwise known as Brother Phil. Phil is from Alabama, War Eagle, and no, (laughs) he's totally roll tide, Phil grew up went to college, got his degree, went to seminary, got his degree. He's got all the degrees. He's not happy with certain degrees. He wants to get them all. So even as others in uh, pastoral ministry are looking to retire, Phil went back and got his Ph.D. to go along with his doctor of ministry. Phil is a learner. He loves to take on new ideas and deal with them and wrestle with them, compare them to the scriptures. Phil, more than anything is a lover of God's word. And he faithfully preached it uh, week in and week out through sermons, through lessons. Did you make it all the way through the Bible as you were expositing close? Not quite, really close. Uh, And you can even go and read most of his sermons because he manuscripted every last one of them. And uh, he was a mentor to me, uh, a father in the faith and in ministry and i'm greatly appreciative for the way that he served my family uh even uh as our time there was uh w- was wonderful uh and so i'm thankful for him not just for who he is but because of the lord that he follows that he loves and that he uh whose word he preaches so i'm thankful for him i will let him come now and open the word thank you phil
1: I appreciate it, Vince. Good to be with all of you. Karen and I are thankful. We've been looking forward to this time and praying toward this time uh, and wanting the Lord to bless us as we go and open the Word together. So if you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going to look in uh, chapter 20. And I want us to think about gospel faithfulness, finishing well. Uh, What does it mean to press on in the faith? What does it mean... Uh, to live as a Christian and continue to live as a Christian and not get to the place where you dry up and fizzle. Or, even worse, you turn away from the faith. Well, let's see how the Apostle Paul addressed that as he was speaking to the Ephesian elders, beginning in chapter 20 of Acts, verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, And teaching you publicly and from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Of repentance toward God. And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold. Bound by the Spirit I am on my way to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city. Saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. This is God's word. May you write that word on our hearts. Well, think about how some people seem to live in the spotlight. We, We see them, we see them in the media, we... Uh, see them in uh, sometimes in person and they have a zeal and a sense of excellence in their chosen field and we watch them uh, as they rise and they face the strains of life and they face difficulties and they climb to the top everything seems to be going great and then something happens their exemplary character and their diligence and their generosity and their concerns for others seems to hit a wall they get into greed Or lust or pride or power or presumption and they tumble at the end they don't finish well Uh, as I consider that I I think of people in different fields I think of some journalists that had stellar careers and then they ended with deceit and plagiarism I, I think of some politicians that had track records of public service and then they crashed and burned with moral failures I think about some business developers that forged economic progress and then they were wrecked by financial scandals unfortunately i think of pastors i probably think of them more than anything else who neglected to personally apply the gospel that they said they believed and they didn't finish well and it's easy for us to point the finger at them and go tisk tisk, kind of murmur that under the breath as we watch them slide into shame. But what about us? What about those of us who name the name of Christ? What about us as we uh, think about this life in Christ-shaped trajectory toward finishing well? Now, obviously, if you've not begun the journey of the Christian life, you're going to look at this and say, I really don't care. But that means you're in an even worse position Because you're going to face the judgment of God with no mercy apart from trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in His death and resurrection as we were singing about a moment ago. Relying upon Him as Savior and Lord. So what is this passage teaching us? It is teaching us that the gospel of Jesus calls us to faithfulness in finishing well. And what is that finishing well? What does that kind of faithfulness look like? Well, you'll notice in verse 24, Paul makes it clear. He said, "Here's my goal. Here's what I'm doing, so that I may finish my course, so that I may finish the race, so that I may cross the finish line." And so that purpose clause, so that I may finish my course, is helping us to understand something of the attitude and the actions that Paul modeled for us in finishing well. And so in this passage, he's, he's not really evangelistic. He's not really dealing with apologetics. He's just being pastoral. He is modeling for the Ephesian elders and models for us what it looks like for a believer, someone who's really trusting in Christ to keep pressing on and in life well. He, he's not trying to draw attention to himself. He's trying to point attention To the Lord Jesus Christ who has undergirded everything in his life. and So when we read this word, we don't need to think about simply a wonderful biography of a really amazing Christian. But rather we are to see what is the Holy Spirit teaching us out of this passage. How is he pressing upon us this matter of finishing well? There's a sense that the Holy Spirit puts us into the text. And He puts the text into us. So we begin to think, what does it mean for Christ to be formed in us so that we finish the journey to the new Jerusalem? Well, we might say, uh, "What, what does this text teach us about Paul? Well, certainly teaches us some wonderful things. But we need to see, what does this text teach us about us and about that journey of uh, continuing on in faithfulness to Christ. We've really not faithfully interpreted the, the word until we understand what happened in the past and then we bring it into the present and we let that word begin to work in us. And so that's what Paul was doing with these Ephesian elders. He wasn't trying to elevate himself in their sight, but rather he was modeling for them both in life and ministry what it is for christ to be formed in you and what it is to finish well and so what does finishing well call for three things i want you to see in this text one is a disposition to serve second is a focus on the whole gospel and third is perseverance in the journey so first is a disposition to serve now When you think about the context, this is the third missionary journey. It was on the tail end of it. Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. He had spent three years in Ephesus, the longest place he stayed in any point of ministry. Remarkable ministry there. He had gone from there back where he'd been in the second missionary journey into Macedonia and Greece. And then he comes back around and he's on that western coast of modern uh, modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. And he's about 30 miles from Ephesus uh, where the ship stopped at Miletus. And, uh, and so he is uh, wanting to meet up with these, uh, with these elders from Ephesus. And so he probably sends uh, two of the Ephesians, Tychicus and Trophimus, to go find those elders, bring them back to Miletus. The ship is being unloaded and reloaded they didn't have all the fancy equipment we have, so this was a long uh, process to do it. And yet it was going to be a brief visit. So what would Paul tell the Ephesian elders? Finish well. And that's what we want to think about today. How do you finish faithfully? Well, Paul first says it begins with a disposition to serve the Lord. Look again at verse 18 you yourselves know from the first day i set foot in asia how i was with you the whole time serving the lord with all humility i'm you know i've looked at that word all and and i'm thinking wow what a statement in other words in every aspect of life there was humility he was learning that from the lord Uh, serving the lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon you through the plots of the Jews. Now, he's rather emphatic here. You yourselves know this. You've been watching me. I was around you for, for three years. I modeled this for you. And so the first thing that Paul mentions, if you want to finish well, is serving the Lord. The word conveys the idea of a slave slave. Uh, serving his master. Now we we think of slavery in the 18th and 19th century with horror, and we should think of it in that way. But Paul's using this as an endearing term. He often called himself a bondservant of Christ Jesus. We see that in Romans, Galatians, and Philippians, where he considered himself to be a glad servant of the master who laid down his life for him. And his service was uh, pre Spoken of by the prophets in Psalm 22, in Isaiah 53, and other passages, Jesus is viewed as the suffering servant. And then Jesus said of himself in Mark 10 45 For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Even right before the arrest of Jesus, what does he do? John 13. He's washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the eternal God, the Son, is washing stinking feet. He served. There was that sense of humility even in our Lord. And so Jesus, who serves us ultimately at the cross, liberates us from slavery to Satan and sin so that we might be the glad servants of one who follows after him. And so service of Jesus Christ means that we're learning what it is to center our lives in Him. We're learning in every aspect of life. We just want to give glory to Him. We want to honor Him in our work life, in our home life. We want to honor Him in our social life. We want to honor Him when no one else is around. We want Him to be glorified in our lives. So what kind of dispositions should characterize that service? Well, the first thing... Paul says, serve with humility. Uh, again, serving the Lord with all humility. Now, humility was not an admired virtue in the Roman world. They, they seem to appreciate being puffed up. And uh, we, we have a lot of archaeological descriptions of that. Where guys paraded all their uh, accomplishments. And those, those things are, are still around for, to, to see in some of the ruins. And yet, Jesus says that humility is to mark us. That the same kind of service that he showed, we are to show. And humility is not to be confused with a mousy personality, or somebody that withdraws, that hides, that shrinks from engagement. Instead, as one writer put it, it's the quality of unpretentious behavior. A humble person is not trying to come across as the most important person in the room, a big shot trying to impress others, but rather humility in Christ means that we are seeking to point attention to Jesus as Lord of all. The humble person is not impressed with himself or impressed with herself. Uh, Such a person recognizes his uh, or her own weakness while learning to live life in the strength and power of the Lord. A humble person doesn't get confused about who the Lord is. They know who the Lord is. John Calvin commented, For this humility is set both against vain confidence and also haughtiness. That man can never be rightly framed to obey Christ, whose looks are lofty and whose heart is proud. Proverbs 16, 18. You're familiar with that verse. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. I mean, the moment that we think... We only need the Lord for the big issues, when things are are really bad, when we have an emergency. Then we start down that road of destruction. Because pride strokes self-dependence. Pride nurses selfish ambitions. Pride clamors for attention. And pride is endemic. If you think, I don't really have a problem with that, then what you don't realize is you are swamped in it. Because it's endemic to human nature. You see it in the Garden of Eden. Why in the world would our first parents choose to go their own way? Pride was right at the heart of that. You see, pride blinds us to its presence by convincing us that we're always right. That our opinions are the best. Pride tells us we can do no wrong when, even when we're miserably wrong. Pride is a deceiver. Pride crushes us unless we continue to see ourselves for what we are. Great sinners in need of a greater Savior. I I loved that uh, epitaph, and I don't remember it precisely, of John Newton that wrote Amazing Grace, and his epitaph was something to that effect, that he realized that he was a great sinner, but he had a, a much greater Savior. You see, pride stands in the way of finishing well. In contrast to that humble spirit that just keeps us at, a cross, at the cross. Admiring and serving Jesus rather than admiring and serving ourselves. Humility is foundational in serving the Lord in faithfulness. The 4th century church father Augustine wrote, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second Humility is the third. But then we serve the Lord with tears. You'll notice that secondly. Paul said serving the Lord with tears. Because Christian service meets with tears. At Romans 9, Paul had great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart over the lostness of the Jewish people. He had tears over believers to whom he wrote that were struggling with sinful patterns in their lives. Now, Tears is not a sign of our just Getting weak with everything around us, but rather it is a deep burden in recognition of our helplessness to change any person. And so you, you find Paul writing to the Corinthians, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Why? Because he could not sanctify the Corinthians. And you know, sometimes... We struggle with this. We struggle with it as parents. We struggle with it as as grandparents. We struggle with it in ministering to people. We struggle with it in our neighborhood. There are people that we want to see captured by the beauty, as we were singing about, the beauty of Christ and the glory of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. And it doesn't happen, and we cannot change them. We need to feel something of that helplessness uh, in my devotion time this morning I was reading from Mark's Gospel uh, and the rich young ruler had, had come to Jesus and, and of course he, he turned away at, at the high cost of following Christ and the disciples were, were kind of frustrated. Uh, Jesus said it's really hard for a rich man to, uh, to enter the kingdom. He said as a matter of fact it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. If heaven... And they stopped and said, then, Lord, who can be saved? He said, it's impossible with men, but not with God. You see, that's what tears does. Tears turns our attention back to the Lord. So we're serving Him, and we're seeing, yes, He uses us. Yes, we become instruments in His hands. Yes, we want to give of ourselves to others. But we need to realize this, and this is part of taking a burden off of us and, and sometimes moving us to manipulate or to assume things with people instead of being faithful to the gospel and serving others and seeing the Lord change them. Tears come in action to serve brothers and sisters that they might be strengthened in the faith, that strongholds of sin might be broken and Christ might be glorified in their lives. But this, this service also comes in trials. You'll notice that... He says as well in this passage in, uh, in verse 19, Serving the Lord with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now, if you look at Paul's life, uh, especially when you read through the book of Acts, you say, that guy went through some junk. I mean, in, uh, in chapter 9, he's a new convert. When many days had elapsed, Jews plotted together to do away with him. Uh, you get in chapters... 13 and 14 is on the first missionary journey. The Jews incited the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Chapter 14, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having won over the crowns, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. You get to chapter 16, he's imprisoned in Philippi. You get to chapter 17. He's run out of town in Thessalonica, and he goes to this out-of-the-way place, Berea, and he gets run out of Berea. You get to chapter 18. He's in Corinth, and, and while Gallio was, uh, was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought, and brought him before the judgment seat. Now, what does it mean for us to serve the Lord with trials? It means that we treasure Jesus and we treasure faithfulness to Him more than our personal comfort and security. And and that goes right to the heart of finishing well. For in finishing well, uh, our sights are set on Christ, the author and perfecter of faith, who has gone on before us, who's endured the suffering And he sat down at the right hand of God for us as Hebrews 12 teaches us. Now, our trials may be really small when we start looking at Christ and comparing. Yes, they're very small. Our trials may be really small when we compare them uh, even to the Apostle Paul. But brothers and sisters, if they're trials, they're trials. Something has overturned our life. We're we're being squeezed. We're in the vice. We're being crushed. We're being pummeled. Uh, We... are are facing hardships and difficulties. And we can give up in times like that. We can think, if this is the way God treats His friends, then I don't want to have anything to do with Him. Yes, God treats His friends with trials. And if that bothers you, it's only because you're not reading the Scripture to see that He wants us to get our eyes off of the immediacy of comfort and everything going just absolutely great. Do I like things to go well? Yes. Absolutely. I want things to go very well. But when do we learn the most? It's when we're in trials. When, when do we cast ourselves upon the Lord? It's when we're in trials. Now, you know, We can have that kind of attitude that, Lord, I, I've had enough. I don't deserve all of this. I'm not going to go any further. Or we can humble ourselves before the Lord and say you are altogether wise and your providence, the way you govern, is good. And I don't understand any of it and I lament it, but I'm trusting you. You see, finishing well is never smooth and easy. I I would commend to you not only reading the scripture, but read good Christian biographies. Not, not the kind that are puffing everybody up. They're superstars and everything goes well. Th- those aren't really real biographies. The real biographies show you the junk that God's people go through. The struggles they have. I mean, think of John Calvin. Yes, he had a marvelous ministry. But there was a bounty on his head. He, he couldn't go back to his home in France. He would have been killed. There was opposition to him. He faced all kinds of physical infirmities, and on top of that, he lost his only child and his wife. You think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the greatest preacher in the 19th century, but he lived with poor health. He lived with uh, uh, with a tendency toward depression. Uh, He faced struggles, and even toward the end of his ministry, he was opposed by his fellow Baptists in the Baptist Union. Think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he was in prison alone awaiting awaiting execution that happened just uh, shortly, just days before the end of uh, the the European aspect of World War II. I I think of my friend Marshall, um, my my spiritual papa, who uh, had a lifelong disability and never heard him complain about it. And his wife died of brain cancer. And they had this wonderful relationship. And I, I remember just being broken hearted hearing the news about, about her death. And then his health declined and he died. But he faithfully served the Lord. You see, if you live long, you may not even have to live long for this. But if you live long or short, you're going to face some trials. You're going to face those times where you are squeezed. But the question is, Will you serve Christ even in your trials? That's how you finish well. It takes humility because you will not control your journey. It, it takes tears because you will see more and more how dependent you are upon the Lord. And it will involve trials because, as Acts 14.22 tells us, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And all the while... We're learning, keep trusting in him who died and rose from the dead on our behalf, that we might joyfully serve him with humility, with tears and with trials. Second, if we're gonna finish well, not only do we need that disposition to serve, but second, we focus on the whole gospel. So what happens in this process of serving the Lord with humility, trials and, and, and tears? we learn through these burdens and weaknesses to live in Jesus Christ, to live in His promises, to live in the gospel. We're not serving aimlessly, but we have the gospel as our motivation. We have the promises in the gospel as our hope. We have the very offer of the gospel as our daily living experience. And so this gospel of Jesus who redeemed sinners through His death and resurrection. And if you're one and you don't know that redemptive work of Christ, then even this day, through repentance and faith, you can turn to Him and you can know the forgiveness of sins from the sin-bearer Jesus. And you can know life because of this resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so through Him is how we serve. Because He has secured not just our forgiveness, but our sanctification, our holiness, our being set apart to Him through His death and resurrection. And that affects the way that we serve. That that affects how we are living. We're learning to live in all that Jesus has done in the gospel. And so despite the trials the apostle faced, verse 20, he said, uh, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, here is the apostle's focus. He's moving from humility and tears and trials to this unflagging zeal and determination set on the whole gospel. And it might be costly. It might be difficult. It it might not be well-received living a life that's centered in Christ and His gospel. I mean, having been humbled by the gospel of Jesus, the Apostle Paul uh, said he could have no other focus but to live and declare the gospel to others. So how are we to focus, as Paul modeled it, on the whole gospel? Well, notice first, see the gospel as advantageous in life's details Notice again in verse 20. For I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, he wasn't talking about giving advice on making a really good cake or how to uh, trim your apple trees so that they bear more fruit. That, that's not the kind of prophet he's talking about. He's talking about what he says in verse 27. The whole purpose of God. That as we see the gospel from Genesis to Revelation as we see the whole of the purpose of God from even before creation, creating a people that God intentioned to redeem through the bloody death of His Son, uh, creating a people that God the Father intended to give life through the risen Christ, when we begin to see that, then we begin to see how all of life is framed by the gospel. Now, that may seem like an odd idea if we think, well, I thought the gospel was just to get you forgiveness. Yes, yes, it is. But don't stop there. The gospel is the truth that you live in. I mean, have you plumbed the depths of what it was for God the Son who became a human being to take your sins on the cross? Have you plumbed the depths of that? Have you plumbed the depths as was being taught in Sunday school of how the righteousness of Christ has now become your righteousness and God looks upon you in the same way as He looks upon His Son? Have you plumbed the depths of what it is for God's eternal justice to be satisfied in the person of His Son? No, we haven't plumbed the depths of that. But what's happening as we walk with the Lord, as our sanctification is going on, the Lord is teaching us the impact of what it means as Galatians 4.19 talks about of Christ being formed in us or of what it means in Romans 8.37 when you see that all these trials that you're facing and then you, you begin to discover that you overwhelmingly conquer through Him who was crucified for you and who loves you. Or like... The Apostle Paul with the Corinthians, I don't want to know anything about you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is that not an oddity? Paul, was that not selfish? No, that was grand and glorious because he wanted to see the effectiveness of the gospel at work in them. I mean, this uh, seeing Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith as Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 Or pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus in Philippians 3.14? Or uh, seeing every one of us completed, uh, 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 presented, completed before God in Jesus Christ? You see, we, we read the New Testament and we discover something. All of our life as His followers are about Him not about us it's it's all about him that's gospel life Now you, you may say but you know i've got other things i've got a job i've got family i'm i'm i mean i'm juggling a schedule i'm finishing my education i'm working on retirement i'm trying to stay healthy yeah 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 we we got all that that's just part of life but does the effect of the gospel impact all those areas of your life do you work like someone who is a christian do you do your schoolwork like someone who is a follower of Jesus? Do you live as a single person as one who is captivated by Jesus Christ? Do you live your life in faithfulness to your spouse as one who is understanding the faithfulness of Christ working into your relationship? Do you teach and train your children in such a way as those who have been transformed by Jesus Christ? Do you approach living as disciples of Jesus Christ? Let's don't shrink from living in and declaring anything profitable to those around us. Let's see how the good news of Jesus Christ is advantageous in every detail of life. Let's let's don't shrink from compartmentalizing our Christianity so that we've got this segment on Sunday and I'm really, really going to be a Christian on Sunday. And then, you know, the rest of the time. I mean, I'm kind of doing my own gig. No, let's be so immersed in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ that He affects the details of life. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. As Colossians 1:16 or 3:16 says, "So that you admonish and exhort one another in Christ." So you focus on the whole gospel by seeing how the gospel is advantageous for every detail of life. But second, this gospel, this whole gospel, is broad in its appeal. Paul says, "I'm, uh, I'm not shrinking." from declaring to you anything that was profitable. That's another way of saying, I'm boldly declaring to you the things that are advantageous to you in the gospel. Now, c- consider that Paul is showing us how we might focus on the whole gospel, on Genesis to Revelation kind of gospel, how even as we, we look, and I, I appreciated the brother that was teaching in the Sunday school talking about propitiation, pointing back to the mercy seat. And how you look at that Old Testament, all those, those details about the tabernacle, what is going on? These, the Old Testament writers were pointing to Christ and seeing the very fullness of life in Christ. When, when we begin to see that, then we start finishing well because we see the breadth of how the gospel impacts everything and impacts all of our relationships, which means we want the gospel that has been working in us to affect our spouse and to affect our children and to affect our neighbors and our friends. And so we do not shrink from declaring anything that is profitable to them. That doesn't mean we give our opinion to everybody. No one wants that, do they? But we give them the gospel. We give them the truth of Christ. I mean, if you think about it, one of the great joys and delights that we have uh, as followers of Jesus is getting to tell others about Christ. Paul said uh, in verse 20, he was teaching publicly and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks. He, he was pressing this gospel toward others. Now, did, did that mean that he did it brashly and in a harsh, confrontational, abrasive way, demanding an immediate conversion? I don't, I don't think you see that. I think you see him preaching boldly and laying the gospel out, but knowing that conversion is going to happen as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and plants it into the heart. And the Spirit of God uproots the stoniness of the heart and creates good soil so that the seed of the gospel is planted. And so, this boldness, uh, Paul says in verse 24 flowed out of the ministry which he had received from the the Lord Jesus. So our boldness to focus on the whole gospel and the whole of life may be in vocational ministry, but probably for most of you it's not vocational ministry. It's just simply your relationship to the Lord. And Paul said, I I did not make distinctions whether they were Jews or Greeks. That's another way of saying everyone. He, he, He didn't... Uh, look at a, whether a person was religious or irreligious. He didn't look at their race. He didn't look at their income. He just knew that God had given something to him in Jesus Christ and he wanted others to profit from Christ. How do you finish well? You learn to let the gospel weave in to all the relationships of life. Now, this is where that broad offer of the gospel uh, really begins to affect us, affect us. We want to grow and mature as Christians to the point that talking about Jesus is just normal and natural. Talking about His redemptive work, talking about how He's working our life, talking about what He is teaching us is, is natural. Not, not some gotcha moment where uh, we pounce upon someone, but rather... Uh, this is where we're learning to live like Christians who can speak just as naturally about our gratitude to the Lord for the grace He's showing us as we can speak with gratitude for the rain that we had after all this dry weather. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? That's this gospel working into you so that you always have something to talk about. I mean, if your devotion life is fresh, you've, you've got something to talk about every day. Because Christ has been working the Word in you. He's been applying that. Uh, you, you can lament suffering that's going on in the world. And you can do that with others. You're lamenting before the Lord. You're looking at Him. You're trusting for Him to work. Uh, this, this broad approach doesn't narrow acting and speaking as Christians with any kind of cultural or ethnic framework. The Gospel's for everyone. So do you want to finish well? Then be about the gospel. Let the gospel permeate your life. Let the gospel flow out of your life. And then third, the gospel is narrow in its reception. Because there are those times in our conversations where the Lord gives us opportunities to really talk about what does it mean to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in verse 21, Paul says, solemnly testifying to both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I had a conversation with a a long time friend of mine. I prayed for him, prayed for his conversion and um, we were we were riding together not too long ago and it was just very natural to talk about the Lord and we were talking about some of the some of the crazy stuff going on in the world well that i mean that 's like putting a red flag in front of a bull. go for it so what do we do? How do you deal with the junk going on in the world? Where's your hope? Well, I just talked about hope in Christ. And it was very natural just to talk about the Lord Jesus. And I've talked, I've talked to him about how does this hope happen? And I told him, you know, when I was a teenager, I came to understand myself as a sinner. And I didn't know, understand much about what was involved in being a Christian but understood that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and I turned from my sin and I put my trust in Christ. And I just left it with Him. Well, we continued that kind of conversation. I was solemnly testifying of salvation in Christ alone and I left Him with the Lord. You see, our life and our message must leave no question marks that the only way to God is through repentance toward God, turning to God from our sin and our rebellion, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, so relying upon Him who died and rose again for us, this repentance and faith are, are two sides of the same coin as they've often been described. They open the way to receive all that Christ has secured in His death and resurrection. That is the means that we receive them. They are not works. They are means that God has given by His grace for us to open our lives to all the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so our lives as those desiring to finish well need to be regularly marked by repentance in faith. It's not just something we do once, it's something we live in. I mean you begin to discover new dimensions of your sin. You begin to discover new dimensions of your unbelief the more you grow in the Lord. So you're regularly going back to repentance. You're regularly going back to believing in the Lord and you never stop focusing on On the whole gospel the third thing is perseverance in the journey and this is where the Apostle modeled what it was to keep his eyes set upon Christ this disposition to serve affecting character this focus on the whole gospel affecting his daily experience and now verse 24 he says that he wanted to finish his course in the ministry he received from the Lord Jesus in other words He had a focus for where he was going in his journey. We face the danger because there are so many distractions. We're being constantly bombarded to get our eyes off on the stuff around us. But brothers and sisters, we don't need to wait until we're old or until we have a terminal diagnosis to think of finishing the course that Christ has set for us. And so what Paul was doing, he was modeling this. I mean... Where are we heading for eternity? He was modeling, I want to finish the course. I'm looking forward to seeing the the Lord Jesus. So what does that call for? Well, it calls for one, relying on providence. You'll notice in verse 22, And now behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So, just down the road, Paul's heading to Jerusalem. He was going to be uh, accused by the Jews of all kinds of things. He was arrested. He spends two years in prison in Caesarea. He finally heads to Rome. And, of course, he gets shipwrecked along the way. And he finally gets to Rome, waiting to see Caesar. And from what we can put together, because the book of Acts ends, and then you begin to piece through the... The, uh, especially the pastoral epistles, uh, Paul was freed for a while, then he's arrested again, then he's put to death. He didn't know what was going to happen to him on any single day. How do you live like that? How do you live when the Holy Spirit tells you you're going to be facing bonds and afflictions? How do you live like that? Well, you learn to rely on, upon the Lord's love and mercy and grace in His providential care and His sovereign purpose. You learn to cast yourself upon the one who died for you. So we can persevere in the journey if we trust the Lord who has mapped the journey for us. We don't need to know the future. And none of us do. But we don't even need to know the future if we know the one who orders the details who gave Himself for us. See where that gospel keeps coming back? and affects the way that we're looking at the details of life. Well, you know, there are all kinds of uncertainties around us. There are uncertainties in in your uh, personal life. There are uncertainties in your family. Maybe there are some illnesses or some difficulties that that you're going through. Well, Paul said he didn't know what was going to happen to him. So how do you live life when you don't know what's going to happen to you? Will you live with that view that the Apostle talked about in Romans eight thirty two? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? That's what He's doing in our sanctification. That's what He's doing in the journey. And He just keeps bringing us, the Lord just keeps bringing us to these new levels in Whatever is going on in life to teach us to rely upon Him, to trust Him. Second, he's in, in this persevering on the journey, He's teaching us to die to self. Verse 24, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Why? So that I may finish my course. You remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, I die daily. I die daily daily you see the biggest hindrance to finishing well is not afflictions it's not enemies it's not health or finances it's not bad circumstances it's not even Satan it's not even the world it's ourselves brothers and sisters that's the biggest hindrance and so you go to sleep tonight you get up in the morning yes Satan's gonna attack yes the world's gonna try to bombard you Yes, there are enemies of the gospel, but the biggest struggle is with yourself. So what do you do? You learn to die to yourself. That's, we, we learn to live in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we no, would no longer be slaves to sin. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh in this this earthly body that has that propensity to sin, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. We learn to die daily. You're not going to flip a switch and fully understand that. It's that process of you studying the Scripture, I would say especially Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, uh, and you, you see this in Colossians, you see it in Galatians, and you see what it is as a matter of fact, you see it in the words of Jesus. Do you want to follow life to me? Then deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take it up daily and follow me. A cross was not a play party, as my grandmother would say. A cross was, was not just something that we say, oh, isn't that interesting? No, a cross was an instrument of death. Jesus said, you want to follow me? You had to learn to die daily. If we're going to do this journey where we persevere, we learn to die to ourselves. And then the third thing, we finish the journey so that I might finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. I mean, we've seen those distance runners maybe in the Olympics or some race and they, they pull a hamstring or something happens and they just limp but they cross the finish line and everybody's applauding, that's probably gonna be me. I just, even if I limp or crawl, I'm gonna cross the finish line. Whatever it is, God gives grace to finish the race. Finish the ministry entrusted to you, that ministry to your family, that ministry to people in the workplace. Never hesitate to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Keep your sights upon Christ. Keep your sights upon the hope that is given to you in Christ. Let your life be a thank offering to Christ. Whatever He has entrusted to you, family, friends, ministry, work, service, whatever it is, keep persevering in faith in Christ. Let the gospel richly dwell within you shaping your life Uh, rely upon the provisions of christ in your work and in your family in all of life learn to die to yourself fight the good fight of faith in christ brothers and sisters by the grace of god finish well let's pray